turn in your Bible to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter number 14. We began this two-part series through this chapter last Sunday night. If you weren't here uh, last Sunday night, I would encourage you uh, to go back and listen to that message. You can go to our podcast. You can go on our website. And you can listen to both of those, uh, that message there on, on both of those platforms. Um, and I hope that you'll do that because this message ties in directly with that one. It's all one big context here. And the first 12 verses speak to the idea. It's even the heading on, on, in my Bible at the top of chapter 14. It says Christian liberty. And that's where um, there are some issues in which the scripture is not as clear on. And Paul urged us in, in the first 12 verses that we should give one another the liberty to be fully persuaded in our own minds about these Romans 14 issues, these disputable matters, and we should not let them divide us. That was Paul's heart. Now, now if you weren't here last week, I'll, I'll say like I did last week, I preached this chapter um, three years ago. And if God helps me, I want to continue to preach it every couple, two or three years going forward because it's a culture that our pastors work very, very hard uh, to develop in our church. And I want to work hard to continue that culture in our church of having a Romans 14 type spirit. And so Paul's speaking of Christian liberty, a, a level of grace and tolerance we give for each other in our church family over these disputable matters. But we get to verses 13 through 23, and he's not so much talking about Christian liberty anymore. Now he's going to talk about what I call Christian limitation. So he's going to teach us the practice of limiting that liberty, though we have it. He's going to teach us to put limitations on that liberty for the sake of our brother, for the sake of our testimony, and for the sake of the unity of our church. I want to read the text at large, verse 13 through 23, and then we'll get into the message. The Bible says, Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. Destroy not him with thy meat, for whom Christ died. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For the he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace, and the things wherewith one may edify another. For me, destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. The title of the message tonight is I can doesn't mean I should. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. We actually live by that principle throughout all of our lives without even knowing it, right? I mean, for me personally, 
I can pick up a snake by its tail. But that doesn't mean I should. In fact, I shouldn't pick up a snake at all. I can have a cat as a pet. That doesn't mean I should, friends. I want those same amens all throughout the message. I can put mushrooms on my steak. I can. Doesn't mean I should. I can drive a Ford, but that doesn't mean I should. I don't, I, I don't care what I drive. I just knew it would get some people riled up. I'd drive anything. I can be a Dallas Cowboys fan. I mean, I can. But nobody should. <laughs> Speaking of social distancing, is Bryce in the building? There he is. He's got his arm crossed. He's a bitter, bitter person right now. Show charity, show charity, man. This message is for you tonight. In all seriousness, you take that off there. Said, just go back to the title so I don't want any Cowboys fans, fans getting distracted. You know, there are many things, truly, in our Christian life and in our church life that fall under the broad category of Christian liberty. Because they are clearly settled in Scripture, we could go there. We could say that, could watch that, could wear that, we could listen to that, we could post that, whatever that may be. If it falls under the broad category of Christian liberty, well, we could do that, but... But a mature believer doesn't just consider what they can do. Did you hear me? A mature Christian doesn't just ask the question, can I? A mature Christian asks the question, should I? And this is especially important when we talk about these matters of indifference. That's what a theologian by the name of Michael Byrd called Romans 14 issues. He put... The, the issues we face in life under three broad categories in levels of importance. Number one, he said there are matters essential for salvation. What are those? I'll give you a few. Deity of Christ, virgin birth of Christ, a bloat atonement, justification, eternal security. Those things are, are, are necessary for salvation. The Bible's very clear on those things. Those are not Romans 14 issues, friends. There's another category that's not a Romans 14 issue, and those are matters important to the faith in the church, but they're not essential for salvation. Like, like the inerrancy of the Bible, it is without error. Like that, that, that is very, very important. Understanding of morality and gender and marriage, like that's clear in Scripture. Understanding of local church doctrine and the ordinances, I believe those things are clear in Scripture. Not Romans 14 issues, but then Michael Byrd said there are matters of indifference. Non-essentials, debatable things, gray areas, preferences, and opinions. Now, now the, the matters of indifference in Romans 14, as we talked about last week, were meats and days. There was team veggie, and there was team meat eater. There was team Sabbath, and team Sunday. And they were butting heads over these issues, and Paul was addressing this as a matter of indifference. Now, we don't fight over meat and days, but there's potential conflict about our own Romans 14 issues, like matters of dress, matters of music, holidays that we observe and don't observe, politics, education, mask. Now, here's the question of the text when it comes to the matters of indifference. How can I know the difference? 
between what I can do and what I should do. Listen to me, a lot of the Christian life is navigating wisely through the matters of indifference. And if we don't understand how to know the difference between what we can do and should do, there is going to be unnecessary conflict, unnecessary offense, broken relationships, and tarnished testimonies. And we've we, we got to consider this. And so Paul writes the latter half to answer this question. And I'm going to phrase his instruction in, in, in terms of questions. Five questions tonight that we ought to ask ourselves. I hope you'll study with me. Here's question one. Will it cause my brother to stumble? Got to ask yourself that question. Now, in order to understand what I mean by this question, what Paul meant, we got to do a little bit of exegetical work. So you've you got to hunger after the truth. You've got to keep your nose in the Bible. Study with me in verse 13. Let us not, therefore, judge one another anymore, but judge this rather that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Did you see what, what word he used twice? In verse number 13, he used the word judge twice. What he was doing, if you study it, is he was using a play on words, which Paul did often in his brilliance in writing. And, and the, the, the two words at first appear to be the same thing, but they don't mean the same thing. When Paul says, let us not therefore judge one another in the first use of the word judge, he's referring to condemnation. He's telling us to not condescendingly pass judgment on our brothers in these matters of indifference. But he says, but judge this rather. The second term, uh, the, the usage of the word judge is not referring to condemnation. It, it can be translated to determine, as in determined to make a decision. So follow me. Paul is telling him in the first part of this verse to not be judgmental. He's telling them in the second half of the verse to use their best judgment. In other words, don't be judgmental towards believers in these disputable matters, but instead use your best judgment by, by determining to not do anything that would hinder your brother or sister in Christ. He says determine to not put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in your brother's way. Now what is Paul talking about when he says a stumbling block? What is Paul talking about that we should exercise our best judgment to not do anything that would cause our brother or sister to fall? Look down at verse 20 and 21 because he, he, he comes back to it, uses the same language here, and he elaborates on it. For meat, that's the Romans 14 issue they were discussing, meat, for that Romans 14 issue, destroy not the work of God. All things need to appear, but it is evil for that man who eateth the fence. It is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. So look at the top of verse 20 again. For meat, destroy not the work of God. What is the work of God? When he's, he's explaining how we can be a stumbling block by elaborating on this, and he's saying, for meat, for that Romans 14 issue, whether it's a mask, whether it's where you send your kids to school, uh, whether it's what you post on the internet, for, when you think through these things, you cannot destroy the work of God in a believer's life because of your opinion on a Romans 14 issue. What's the work of God? It's the sanctifying work that God is doing in a believer's life. And Paul is telling them, don't get so caught up in a Romans 14 issue, so loudly opinionated on a Romans 14 issue, that you actually destroy, hinder, trip up the spiritual growth of a brother or sister in Christ. Now, most of us would think it an, uh, a crime for someone to deface a Rembrandt painting. 
or, or, or to shatter a sculpture by Michelangelo or, or to tear down a statue of an historical figure in Washington, D.C. We would think that's appalling, it's disrespectful in most regards, it's against the law. Let's make it more personal. We would think it, it, it awful if someone came into this building on 310 West Pancake and started vandalizing the property, inside and out. If you're a tithing member, contributing member, especially if you helped in this building program for 17 years, however long it took, you would be offended by that. You know why? This represents sacrifice. This represents generosity. This represents the great working of God. We should be just as careful to not disrespect, to tear down, to destroy the sanctifying work that God is doing in a believer's life. This is a building. The sanctifying work in another believer's life is a holy work. God forbid we get more, more uh, lit up about people tearing down statues and then we go out and do stuff that hinders the sanctifying work of God in a believer's life. Which one's worse? we got to be careful about that. Listen to what Kent Hughes said. The narrow road may have fewer people on it, but you don't travel it alone. And how you travel it can and does affect those who are walking with you. John MacArthur, our Christian liberty is vertical before the Lord. But the exercise of that liberty is horizontal because it is seen by and affects others. The issue for the strong, mature Christian is not whether or not he possesses freedom, but how he should exercise or waive that freedom on the basis of how it will affect others. Here's how I say it. A mature Christian refrains from doing some things he feels free to do if the doing will threaten a less mature Christian. Okay, let me give you an example so, so that you understand what I'm talking about. Paul gives his own example in 1 Corinthians 8, verse 13. Here's what he says. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. The Greek word for offend is the same exact word, translated in Romans 14 to be stumbling block. He's talking about the same type of offense. And Paul is saying this, I think eating meat is okay. But because my brother doesn't, I won't do it. And here's why. Not simply because it makes him mad. It's deeper than that. Not because I'm afraid he won't talk to me and give me the silent treatment next time we go to church. It's deeper than that. It's because Paul says in his conscience, my brother's conscience, he sincerely believes it's wrong. And if I do it, my doing of it might embolden him to violate his conscience and thus sin. Here's how you can be a stumbling block. When you do something, when you say something, when you wear something, watch something, listen to something, post something, or go somewhere with some people, and by doing that, you embolden a weaker believer, cause them to think it's okay, and by your word, or by your example, or by your post, lead them to violate their God-given conscience. Ask yourself, if I do this, if I wear this, if I listen to this, if I watch this, if I post this, if I share this, if I go there and a less mature believer sees it, will it potentially set them back in their spiritual walk? Will it slow down the sanctifying work God is trying to accomplish in their life? Will it embolden them to take a step towards carnality? You can, but should you? Here's the second question. 
Will it grieve my brother? Will it grieve my brother? Look at verse 14. I know, I love this, and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. You know why I love that first part? Because Paul, Paul is fully persuaded in his own mind of what he believes. Even on a Romans 14 issue, he can still be fully persuaded that he's on Team Meat Eater. He's like, I'm not, I don't have to dance around the tulips with people I go to church with. They don't need to be get, getting offended because I eat steak. All right, I'm fully persuaded in my conscience I can. But look at the last part of the verse. But to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. So in order for us to understand the next verse, we've got to understand this verse. Because it speaks about the conscience. What is the conscience? We talked about it last week. That moral intuition where we know something is wrong before we can even articulate it. Where we feel that it's wrong in our heart before it even makes sense why it's wrong in our head. It's something that God has given us and gifted us to keep us on the straight and narrow. Well, Paul said, my conscience allows me to eat. Some other brothers in the church, well, their conscience doesn't allow them to do so, at least yet. And that's okay, because the truth of the matter is, is that in the same church, there is going to be people with a more sensitive and cautious conscience. Did you follow me there? In this body of believers, there will be some believers that, 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 that have a very sensitive, fearful, careful, cautious conscience. Much of that will be due to how they've been influenced. Much of their conscience, if it's sensitive, if it's cautious, will be, will be a result many times of how they've been taught growing up. How they've been raised growing up. Things they've heard preached growing up. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. Just remember, listen church, your conscience isn't infallible. We ought to be constantly growing in Christ. And that means that your conscience can be better informed over time. So there are things in my life that I used to be loose on. And my conscience felt okay. Then I heard a certain message... And the Holy Spirit pricked my heart. And then I had to tighten up some things in my home. Because I thought, you know what? I think I can do better here. And so I wasn't so stuck in my way saying I can. That I wasn't willing to tighten up some standards. But you know, the reverse is true as well. Because there have been some things I've been stuck on. Standards and, and things I would call convictions or whatever. And, and then I, I, I was influenced, wisely so. And my conscience was was better informed, and I realized that's not a hill worth dying on. I'm not going to fight that battle. And so I was able to take a step back, and here's the problem with that. And I, I'm going off just a little bit, but I think our church needs this. When you get so loud and so dogmatic about a Romans 14 issue, you make it really hard on yourself to turn around. You get what I'm saying? You dig yourself in a hole of pride, and so if you've been so loud about it, so public about it, and, and you turn around, it's going to be really hard because people are going to notice. You get what I'm saying there? So, so, so if you really want to be a growing Christian, a flexible Christian, a humble Christian, you probably, we'll talk about this later, but you, you, you probably shouldn't flaunt everything out there. Understanding that over time in a Romans 14 issue, God might use somebody or something to better inform your conscience. And you might have to shift, either tighten or loosen. And it's going to be a lot easier to do it. 
if you haven't been obnoxious about it. Get what I'm saying? I'm sure you do. You're just not. Let, let me know. <laughs> so, so we understand that we'll be surrounded by fellow believers on both sides. But then look what, look what Paul said. Because of that reality, there's, there's a conjunction that starts verse 15. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. Watch here. Paul says, I can eat meat. I'm fully persuaded I can. But here's why I shouldn't right now. I'm going to grieve my brother. What's the word grieved mean? It's the exact same word where Paul writes in other epistles that happens whenever we grieve the Holy Spirit. Like, that's severe. So, so here's the point. When he says, does it grieve your brother? I'm not saying, does it cause your brother to roll their eyes? Or unfriend you on Facebook? Or makes them mad? Because, whatever. You get what I'm saying? Like, we live in, in a very sensitive society. And Paul is not writing Romans 14 for us to cater to that. Okay? I want to say very, very kindly that as you walk in the Spirit, you do become gentle, and you become temperate, and you become long-suffering, but you don't become weak. Okay? A sign of being easily offended is a sign of a, a person that's not spirit-controlled. All right? Now, we don't need to take advantage of that and be loud and boisterous and obnoxious. That's the point of the message tonight. But Paul's not going, saying, going over the other ditch, and we've got to walk on eggshells around everybody. Come on now. That's not what he's talking about. We're talking about a very severe term, and he elaborates it where he says, um, what did he say at the end of verse 15? Destroy not him. I thought, that's a strong word. You're going to destroy your brother. If you know it's going to go that deep, it's going to hurt him that bad, it's going, to, it's going to grieve her that bad, then Paul says, if you continue doing it because you can, here's what he said, you are walking uncharitably. You say you love God, you say you love the family of God. You say you love fellow believers. But if you're doing something only because you can and you know it deeply wounds the conscience of your brothers and sisters in Christ, you are unloving. John Stott said it this way. Did Christ love your brother enough to die for him? And shall we not love him enough to refrain from hurting him? How might this happen? You know what I thought of? You know how we can grieve a brother or destroy a brother's spirit? A, let's just say a weaker believer. Maybe we could phrase that in terms of a less mature believer. Might have a stronger believer in their life that they really look up to. That stronger believer they look up to ends up doing something, saying something, posting something, participate, participating in a weekend activity that isn't inherently wrong, but that the weaker brother considers to be sinful. And the weaker brother might grieve in their spirit over that. You know why? Because they admire that stronger brother or sister so much. Which tells me that if you are a more spiritually mature believer and you have other believers that look up to you, you have more responsibility when it comes to the Romans 14 issues. If that's you, be careful about anything you do publicly that your weaker brothers and sisters in Christ who admire you might be hurt over. If you volunteer in children's ministry, in the bus ministry, in the youth ministry, and you have young people that look up to you, be careful what you post on social media. Be careful who, where you go 
and who you go with on the weekend activities. Be mindful. Listen to me, youth worker. Listen to me, children's church worker. Listen to me, Sunday school teacher. Be mindful of how you dress. Be mindful of how you carry yourself in the community. Run your decisions through this filter. Can I make this decision and those who look up to me be influenced in the right way because of it? Or will my decision hurt them? You see, this is where spiritual maturity comes in. This is where you're, you're, you're gifted by God with talent and, and passion for the ministry and you prove yourself faithful and the church leadership uh, puts you in an area of responsibility and leadership. You understand when you're in that position, and we have it on paper, but it shouldn't even have to be on paper. When you're in any of those kind of influential positions, you understand with that comes a level of responsibility? you got to really think about that. And you got to run your, 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 your actions and your behavior in these disputable matters through that filter. And we, I'm just going to say it frankly, we got to grow up to the extent where we care about those we influence more than we care about our liberty. Here's the third question. Will it hurt my testimony? Look at verse 16. Please, please stay with me. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. Let me explain what's going on. The good, the good thing that, that Paul's speaking of here is your Christian liberty. And he's teaching us, use your liberty carefully. And here's why. It will become an evil thing if you don't. How? Well, if you wound your brother's conscience or in some way grieve their spirit or cause them to stumble into sin, here's what happens. You give the watching world an excuse to speak evil of your good and thus tarnish your testimony for Christ. Does the world not look upon our church and any church for that matter and hear us claim that we are brothers and sisters in Christ and he hear us claim proudly that we are a family and they hear us talk a lot about the love of God? So when they see anything to the contrary, like when they see a, a, a church member wounding another church member because they're inconsiderate of one another, it kind of gives the watching world an occasion to speak evil of our church's good. But Paul gives the flip side of the coin because he says when you show love for your brother in these disputable matters and you, you, you show Christian limitation, you are both acceptable to God and approved by men. Look at verse number 18. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. I love studying words. I love studying phrases because I get the true sense of what Paul's getting at. And when he said approved, he's, he's talking about the idea of being accepted or, or, or being declared acceptable after careful examination. So like when a jeweler carefully inspects a diamond under a magnifying glass to determine its genuineness and determine its value. Here's what Paul is saying. When we limit some of our Christian liberty for the sake of loving our fellow believer, here's what he's saying. Both God and the lost world sees that. They examine that as selfless love. Hey, and they approve of it. They sign off on it. Say, oh, that's good. That's good. Now you notice I, I, I skipped verse 17. Because it actually brings up something that at this point in the message, I think is a fair question. Because maybe you're thinking, man, do I get to do anything fun as a Christian? I mean, after I've considered my brother in Christ, after I've considered my sister in Christ, 
after I've got to filter everything through my testimony and my church's testimony, like what, what is there left to do in this life? Now I've got to stop watching this, and I've got to stop going there, and I can't wear this, and I can't participate in this activity. I can't post about these issues. I mean, Pastor, what is the world going to do without my two cents worth of political opinion on the World Wide Web? They're on the edge of their seat every night for me to give my opinion. You're taking all the fun out of the Christian life. I'm glad you asked. Because look at verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. Interpreted. The kingdom of God, your life as a Christian, is not about Romans 14 issues. But righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. I want you to follow this. You may feel no conviction about partaking in something that you believe you are for free to partake in under grace. But if you don't partake in that thing because you don't want to hurt your brother or sister, you don't want to tarnish your testimony, please hear me. That is not the end of your Christian life. And that doesn't mean you can't enjoy what the kingdom is actually about. It's about the gospel. The gospel which you are made righteous in Jesus, through which you have peace with God for all eternity, and by which you find true joy through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Okay, I'm going to put it real frank. The kingdom of God is not really about you. And it's not about what you get to do or don't get to do. It's about living out the gospel and doing so lovingly in the company of people who are doing the same for the glory of God. I heard a pastor say it this way. This is brilliant. The world is a theater, please follow, for the display of God's glory. No offense, but you aren't the main character in the big story of the world. Your life is not an epic film in which you are both the leading actor and the director. At best, you are an extra, filling a spot somewhere in the background behind the king of the cosmos. Your life is all about his kingdom. You get kind of the sarcasm in there, but the truth? If you're still afraid of missing out on the fun of the Christian life when you have to limit your liberty, then I want you to think about it this way. I want you to imagine you want an all-expense-paid trip to Hawaii. Any island you wanted to go. And so you pick the island. You got with the travel agency and you, you got it all planned. You get your bags packed and you go to the airport. And you check in. And upon getting your boarding pass, you find out that they are not going to be serving complimentary drinks. And they're not giving free peanuts on the plane. You're devastated. So devastated that you take your bags and you go home. And you forfeit the entire trip to Hawaii because you have to give up a free bag of peanuts. Would that not be absurd? But no more absurd than a Christian who's unwilling to give up some of the perks of a Christian liberty for the sake of their brother or sister. No more absurd than a Christian brother or sister who won't refrain from posting that because they don't want to tarnish their testimony in any way. See, a life lived for the kingdom of God is about so much more than peanuts. And you're trying to hang on to a little bag of peanuts. And God says, I've saved you and put you in the kingdom of God. You get an all-expense trip, all-expense paid trip to Hawaii. And you're fighting over peanuts. You can, but should you? 
Ask yourself, does it have potential to hurt my testimony? We've got two more questions. Will it promote peace in, in my church? Look at verse number 19. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. This is a quick point, but it's worth stating that, that the New Testament puts a high price tag on unity in the church. Nearly every epistle that is inspired by God and put into the canon of Scripture in the New Testament, written to churches, nearly every single one of them is addressing some type of conflict at some point in the church body, or at least promoting unity in that church body. Paul wrote an entire book called Philemon for the whole purpose of settling a conflict. Jesus Christ used an entire chapter just about, an entire parable, just to teach his first church, the disciples, how to handle conflict in the church. God thinks unity in our church is a big deal. And so should you. And so should, should I. So much so that in any of these matters that we are fully persuaded of in our own minds, we are not going to do things or do things in a way that sacrifices or threatens the unity and the peace of Fellowship Baptist Church. As a member, listen to me please, as a member of this body, don't miss this, you have an obligation. You have an obligation to think outside of your chair you're sitting in right now. As a member of this body, you have an obligation to think outside of the few people that you hang out with in this body. As a member of this body at large, you have an obligation to your brothers, sisters in Christ, the ones you like, the ones you don't like, the ones you know, the ones you don't know, the old ones and the young ones, the conservative ones and the liberal ones. You have an obligation to them to do your part to promote the peace of this family. And you've got to take that serious. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 12, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Yeah. Let me ask you one more question. Can I do it in good faith? So last question. It's in the last two verses. Here's what Paul does. In verse 22, he talks to the stronger brother. The one that feels like he can't eat meat. One feels like no day is special. And then in 23, he talks to the weaker brother, and he has a different message for each. Equally as important. Look at verse 22. Hast thou faith? He's talking to the stronger brother. Have it to thyself before God. This sounds kind of like a beatitude. Happy is he, or blessed is he, that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. Now don't miss this. Okay, I'm almost done. You're doing well. When Paul talks to the stronger brother, here's what he says. If after a correct understanding of Scripture, after considering your brother and your testimony and the unity of your church, you feel in your conscience that you can do something, wear something, go somewhere, post something, watch something, listen to something, and you can do it in good faith, believing you're pleasing to Christ, Without conviction, Paul says this, do it. I know it's a lot of filters to run through. But he says if it passes all these five questions, if you can do it in faith without conviction from the Holy Spirit, 
without the pricking of your conscience. He says, do it, and better yet, be happy when you do it. And isn't it true? You can be happy doing things you're not convicted about. And by the way, you should let your brother or sister be happy about doing the things they're not convicted about if it's a Romans 14 issue. He said, be happy about it. And I know there are some personalities, my wife's, and others like her, that they, they can make themselves feel bad for anything. I mean, I, she can, she, I'm telling you, she sacrifices, she puts like a, a, a two by four over the lid of Christian liberty and she limits it that much. Like, I, I, she limits herself a ton. And she would tell you in a lot of ways, and, and this is all based on personality, not spirituality, that, that there are some personalities that are just ultra sensitive to hurting people. They don't want to do it. They don't like confrontation. They don't like tension. They don't like any of that. I think it's a positive attribute. My wife has that. Here's, here's what Paul's saying. If you can genuinely pass your Romans 14 issues through all this, don't let your personality get in the way of living a good Christian life. Like, don't make yourself feel bad for something God says is okay. All right, that's Christian liberty. Happy are you. If you're not condemned, if you can do it in good faith. But then he talks to the weaker. Well, no, no, I got to say this. I got to say this. Because he says something in there right after the first phrase of the verse. He says, do it. What does he say? Do it unto thyself. Is that what he says in verse 22? Right? Are you looking at your Bible? Somebody help me because I ain't going back behind the pulpit. Have it to thyself before God. What is he saying? You can be happy about it, but you got to be humble about it. Try your best in these disputable matters to keep them to yourself. If you can be happy about it and do it in good faith, great. But don't flaunt it. Don't be so inconsiderate that you just can't keep it to yourself. You get what I'm saying? Just to, I'm asking the Holy Spirit to start applying this to your heart like he applied it to mine. Because I don't got time to be going and, and, and just starting shooting a rifle here. But you know areas in which you want to flaunt what you think is right. I'm talking, about, I'm talking about Romans 14, okay? I'm not talking about matters of essential for salvation in the church, okay? I'm talking about Romans 14. You know how, you know when, that you like to flaunt that. And you can't honestly say it's out of a humble spirit. Be a mature Christian. Be a loving Christian. Be happy about it. Be humble about it. Then he tells the weaker believer this, and we're done. Verse 23. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. All right, so what he's saying. Watch here. If the faith you hold sincerely in Jesus convicts you about something, and you go against that conviction because you're pressured by whatever, here's what Paul says, you're actually condemning yourself. Because to act outside of your faith is sin. It is to disregard your dependence upon Jesus, and that is always wrong, regardless of who tells you it's okay. I'll say it like this. Imagine a paratrooper. Let's say he was in the Army's Airborne Division. Comes to me and says, man, I think you ought to try skydiving. He says, let me just tell you how easy it is for me. Dude, I, I can put on the parachute, 
I can be eating a bag of Doritos. The next second I know I'm jumping out of a, out of a plane a thousand feet in the air. I just spread out my wings like I'm a bird and I start singing, I believe I can fly. And he just starts, starts telling me all these things. And he says, he, he explains to me how the parachute works, all the technical aspects of it. He even gets me into the airplane, Kelby, and he puts the parachute on me. And he gets me a thousand feet in the air. If I studied it, if I rehearsed it, no matter how much he tried to convince me, I could do it with ease. I could never do it with ease. I would be in so much inner turmoil. I don't care how well I knew that he could do it. I don't care how right he thought it was for me. I would be so tore up on the inside that he would have to push me out of the plane. And Paul is saying this. If you have to be pushed out of the plane to do something, it's not right for you. And so quit trying to fit in. Look, there's people at work, people at school, people, other family members, people from other churches in our town that think different. If they got to keep pulling your hand behind your back and putting that parachute on you, that could be your conscience. Better yet, it could be the Holy Spirit convicting you, telling you to hold up. Don't even get in the plane. This isn't for you. And by the way, don't be the paratrooper that tries to push people out of the plane. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. That's what Paul's saying. Can you put the last two quotes up there for me, Tim? Let's start with the first one and I'll be done. Under the kingdom of Jesus, this just sums up Romans 14. Grace marries people of differing views. Values into one realm. They love their king and because their king loves them, they love each other. Because they love each other, they are careful about what they do and don't do. One more quote. True Christianity stands out on one's own rights. Stands not on one's own rights, but on one's responsibilities to others. Whatever limitations we impose on ourselves for the sake of our testimony, of our influence with others, and of our desire to help others, are marks of the mature Christian. Friend, let's grow up. And let's consider one another. And if there's anything in your life that you have felt freedom to do, and you've never considered, should I? You've never ran it through the filter of those five questions. Tonight, be taught from Scripture that this is a necessity for your brother or sister, for the testimony of our church, and the unity of our church, and ultimately for us to bring glory to God the Father. Stand to your feet, every head bowed and every eye closed.